Amen. Well, just let me get ready here for a second, and um, you can pop the first slide up today and show what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're talking about continuing this story uh, as part of Lent, moving towards uh, Easter and the cross. Uh, and we're going to look at basically a story um, where Jesus takes three friends, goes up a mountain and glows. Um, it's kind of a fairly surface-level, basic story. Um, you know, Jesus takes three friends, goes up a mountain, glows. It's sort of like a bit mundane. It's not water into wine. It's not healing the blind man. Uh, it, on the surface, it doesn't sound earth-shattering, but there's a lot of depth uh, to this story. And I, I hope um, as I unpack it, you understand this depth. You know, it's not just... Jesus glowing, you know. It's not just Jesus. Now, consider um, Marvel movies, okay? So we have characters that reveal themselves. They reveal their nature. They reveal their power. So the character of Storm in the X-Men, okay, she reveals herself like this, okay? Okay? in power, with lightning coming out of her fingers, you know, and she floats around the air, uh, and the entire atmosphere is changed by her demonstrative powers and things that are going on. You know, this is not this kind of story. You know, she's, she's portraying her power to the whole world, you know, and Jesus, he's not really doing that. Okay, he's doing it by just going up a mountain with three friends and says at the end, don't tell anyone. You know, there's something a bit different going on here, okay. Um, now, as we read the story, the main idea of this is Jesus is revealing himself as God, okay, or God is being revealed in the person of Jesus, and that sort of story, you know, is the main part of the story. Now, we're going to unpack that today, and hopefully you'll find some interest um, and some new revelation in the story. But before we do that, we're going to look at mountains, okay? Now, why is it that Jesus uh, decided to go up a mountain? Now, in the Bible, there's a lot of symbology of mountains. And um, on a simple level, you know, I think we all like going up for drives in the mountains. Our family likes to do that. We like taking a Sunday afternoon and going up to the mountain because it's nice and cool. We like to cook some sausages and some, make some fires and toast marshmallows. Um, but is this what Jesus is doing? Is he just trying to get away from it all? I'm going to show the next slide, thanks. So... Other people, no, that's not the right one. We want to see that one. Yep. So when we see mountains, some people look at a mountain and they see this, okay? And they see something that's impenetrable or in, what's the word? Uh, you can't go there. You know, it's unobtainable. You can't, uh, inaccessible, that's the word I'm looking for. Yep. Okay, it's an inaccessible place where no one goes. And ancient cultures sort of looked at these places as certainly as inaccessible places. And if someone lived on a mountain, they must be godlike. 
little g, let's stay, stay with that, little g godlike. In the sense that there's not much food up there, the air is pretty thin, okay, there's no water source, so if you are living up there, you can't be human, you can't survive up there for a long time. So there was this traditional connection, I guess, with some ancient cultures about um, if you lived up a mountain. So is this what Jesus is doing? Is he taking a walk back home? Who knows? All right, let's look at another kind of mountain. All right, so this is a story of um, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal in the Old Testament. Now, Mount Gerizim, I believe, is on the right. So what happened here is the prophets would stand on Mount Gerizim and another bunch of prophets would stand on Mount Ebal. And the nation of Israel would pass in between them. And Mount, from Mount Gerizim, the prophets would shout the blessings of the covenant. If you follow God, you'll get good crops, all these sorts of blessings. From Mount Ebal, they would shout, well, if you don't follow the covenant, the sword's going to come. You know, if you worship other gods, you're going to die. Okay? And the nation of Israel walked between these two mountains. Okay? So they had the blessings spoken and the curses which basically all pointed towards the Old Covenant. And so what were the mountains there to do? Essentially, they, every time Israel would sit back, say, at a distance here, they'd go, oh, there's those two mountains. That's right. I remember the covenant we made with God that day. It, the mountains were a symbol of covenants in this case. Okay? Another kind of mountain. Let's move on. Next slide. This is the city of Babylon. And now it is described as a mountain, in this case in Jeremiah, a destroying mountain. Okay? So we here we see it's not just a symbolic, it's a very much a symbolic mountain. Okay? It's um, symbolic of a kingdom. Okay? Or stronghold or something like that. Babylon became a destroying mountain. Okay, so the city of Babylon, the system, the, the political system, the armies, everything became a mountain and, in fact, a destroying mountain. We see this also um, with the story of Jesus uh, when he comes out of the temple and he says, you know, if anyone says to this mountain, you know, pick yourself up, throw it into the sea, if you've got faith, you can do this. Now, Jesus is not talking about a party trick when you're a Christian, you know, that you can get a bunch of people together with faith and throw mountains into the sea. I think he's talking something about like this. You know, the old, the old temple, you know, he had cleaned it out, you know, of the money changes and things like that. It was a system that was designed to serve the people, but it became corrupt. And he calls it a mountain. So mountains can serve people well, and they can destroy people just as well. All right, we also have this next mountain, Mount Sinai, where the law was given, okay, where the old covenant was given. So God invites the whole nation to come up the mountain. Everyone, come up the mountain. Three days, take yourselves to come up the mountain. And after three days, something happens. And only Moses is allowed to go up the mountain. They're not allowed to touch the mountain for fear of being killed. Okay? 
and Israel makes a covenant there of the blessings and curses. And Mount Sinai becomes a symbol of the law, okay? The system of the law, the Mosaic law, the old covenant. It's all the same thing. The mountain symbolizes the old covenant that God made with Israel under the cloud. And this mountain is highly connected with the story of the transfiguration. But mountains, I just wanted to show you, are highly symbolic. They're not... They're, they're used in many ways uh, in the scriptures. They can be a place of refuge. Uh, we've seen and they can, in ancient cultures, they can be places where uh, gods live and uh, God reveals himself to a nation on top of a mountain. They can also mean symbols of uh, remembrance, you know, Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, remember the covenant. And they can be systems, kingdoms, uh, cities like Babylon that are good and that are bad. Okay, now let's have a look, go back to that map slide. We're going to have a look where Jesus was, okay, at the time he was transfigured. Now, the traditional, there are a couple of sites where they say that the transfiguration took, took place. The first place is, uh, you can see, probably down near the Sea of Galilee, uh, there's a little triangle called Mount Tabor, okay? Now, Jesus spent three years around the city of Galilee, okay? And Mount Tabor is pretty much central uh, to where his ministry took place. Uh, now we have a photo of Mount Tabor, just so you can see it, so we can get the mountain theme continued. Now go back to the map, please. The other place is right at the top, you can see um, a little triangle, it's called Mount Hermon, all right? It's right up the north, right up the north area. Now, Jesus is at a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is just under Mount Hermon in the previous story to the transfiguration. So this is the furthest north Jesus ever travels, okay, in his ministry. And he's at the foot of Mount Hermon, okay? And there's a place there called the Gates of Hades, all right? So the story before the transfiguration is that Jesus has just declared okay, that he is going to build his church on Peter and the gates of Hades will not prevail. So this is the site where he's at currently at Caesarea Philippi, okay? And at the foot of Mount Hermon is the gates of Hades. Now, I just want to show you, there's a couple pictures of that there. Um, that's Mount Hermon, by the way. So it is called the Sacred and Holy Mountain. And the next slide... So at the foot of Mount Hermon, there's this cavern you can see there, and that's where basically a lot of pagan worship used to happen. They used to throw sacrifices into that cave at the foot of Mount Hermon. Okay, so it's a very interesting place that Jesus is standing here. Peter's had his great confession that Jesus is Lord, and he said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against me building my church. Okay, so this is the picture. This is the background what we've got. Now, I just want to, um, we're going to now read the scriptures. Yeah, so that's just another place, um, another photo of the gates of Hades. As you can see, it's a very well-watered place. Now, Mount Hermon 
is uh, very where a lot of water comes from. It's actually in, mentioned about in Psalm 48. It talks about, um, you know, there's a, the story about God's blessing is like oil dripping down Aaron's beard and the dew that comes off Mount Hermon. And it's, it was a very rich source of fresh water um, for the and land of Israel. So we're going to read, um, I'm going to invite Craig up to read a story. Someone grab him a mic. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read the story of the transfiguration, but we're going to read it out of Luke, and then we're going to read it out of Matthew. Now, there's some subtle differences that I want you guys to pick up on and have a listen to, um, and we'll talk about it after. So Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36 in the New International Version, the Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9, the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Thanks, Craig. 
So Jesus goes up a mountain and transforms. I'll just turn this off. So does that sound familiar to anyone? Is there a story in the Old Testament of a man going up a mountain with three people transforming? Yes, that's right, it's Moses. <laughs> All right, so we need to loop in the story of Moses just to understand what's going on. So let's look at the next bit here. Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abadu. Oh, three people. Okay. Um, but only Moses is allowed to come close in this bit. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud. All right. Um, I think I've got a little bit more. Okay, so then there's about 10 chapters where Moses gets the instructions from God, and then he comes down the mountain. So I'll sort of paraphrase it. When Moses came down the mountain with the two tablets of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So the story of the transfiguration is a reenactment of this story of Moses, but with upgrades, as we'll see. The first thing you'll notice, okay, Luke says eight days, about eight days, and Matthew says six. What's going on here? Okay, why is this different? Now, Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, says that I am writing to a guy called Theophilus, and I'm writing an orderly account so some Greek guy who we don't really know called Theophilus and he's writing an accurate and orderly account. So eight, about eight is what he said, probably means eight. Matthew, on the other hand, is writing to a Jewish audience. Okay? Now numbers in a Jewish context don't always mean just the literal numbers. Okay? Numbers have meaning behind them. Twelve apostles, you know. Five means the law. Two, the two tablets of Moses. Fourteen means David, you know, things like this. So when a Jewish audience hears six days up a mountain, Matthew is like trying to say, okay, it's like that time that Moses went up a mountain with three friends into a cloud, but there's some upgrades going on here. Okay, so that's why there's a bit of a difference between the six and the eight. I just thought you'd like to know that. So, in fact, if we look at this slide, there's about at least six differences, okay? We've got high mountains. Um, Moses takes three people up a mountain, but only Moses is allowed to go forward, um, whereas in this case, the three people hang around. There's an upgrade, all right? There are, he's up there, uh, go back, he's up there for six days, then a cloud comes over the mountain, okay? Moses goes into the cloud, all right? Cloud speaks to Jesus later. We'll get to that. And his face shines, but it's different. There's upgrades. We'll get to that. And then we, he spoke of his departure. Now, I won't speak too much about this, but the word that Luke uses for departure is the word exodus, which points back to Moses. 
All right? So there's this whole connection, and we get a deeper understanding when we read the story of Mount Sinai, what's going on. Now, the first thing we look at is when did Moses and Jesus glow? When did Moses glow? As in the, in the timeline, when did he glow? Anyone got any ideas? All right, let's give the answer. Exodus 34, down the bottom. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he, noted, he was not aware that his face was radiant. So when he was coming down the mountain. All right? Now, when did Jesus glow? After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. He led them up a mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. You see the difference? It's the first thing that happens for Jesus. It's the last thing that happens to Moses. Moses glows because he's been in the presence of the Lord. Jesus is glowing. What is that saying? He's the source. Very good. All right, it's an upgrade. Jesus is revealing that he is God. He is light himself. And then there's more upgrades, okay? His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. All right, so Daniel 10. These are scriptures. There's a lot more in there, but this is just a couple. It says, his face was like lightning. Luke uses these exact words. Okay, but in Daniel, it's talking about, this is the Father it's talking about. This is language that's only been attributed to the Father. All right, Psalm 104, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. Okay, once again, this is language that's only attributed to the Father in the Old Testament. But we're seeing it now applied to Jesus. Okay, Jesus' garments and his face was like lightning and his garments were like light. So, really, it's a Sunday school lesson. He's proving that he is the same substance, okay? But in the Old Testament, okay, this language was only attributed to the Father, okay? But now, the same language is being applied to Jesus, saying that he is made of the same stuff that the Father is made of, okay? He glowed, and the cloud hadn't even shown up. Moses glowed coming down the mountain because he was in the presence of God, all right. Now, Moses and Elijah show up. So, we then ask the question, why did Moses, why didn't Elijah show up? Why didn't Abraham show up? Okay. I think I have a little slide with a, a picture here. Okay, this is a great picture I just stole from someone. Okay? Because it shows that Jesus is glowing doesn't show that Moses and Elijah or the disciples are glowing, okay? Maybe their face might have been coming down the mountain. Who knows? Don't know. But it's showing that Jesus is the source. But why didn't someone else show up? Why didn't Abraham, you know, anyone else? There's a lot of reasons I could go into, but I think the whole idea of Moses symbolized the law, Elijah symbolized the prophets. And in the Old Covenant, okay, the the nation of Israel was guided by the law and the prophets. 
And what was the prophet's job to do? Point to the law. Remember Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal? We had prophets on both mountains. One would shout out, these are the blessings, these are the curses if you don't follow the law. The prophet's job was to point to the law, okay? Remind them of what would happen, okay, if they followed the law or if they didn't. So Moses is symbolizing the law and Elijah is symbolizing the prophets. And Peter then comes and says, okay, this is great. You know, we, let's just make some booze. Let's make some tents. Let's chill out and uh, talk about old times. Okay, and the father says, no. This is when the cloud shows up. Okay, the father comes in and says, no. And what happens to the law and the prophets? Moses and Elijah, they fade away. Okay. I think Peter, whatever he was thinking in his mind, it says he doesn't know what he was talking about. Maybe he was remembering the story of Moses and like, what happened next? That's right, he built a tabernacle. Maybe I should build tabernacles for them all. Who knows what he was thinking? Okay. But in his mind, possibly he was equalizing Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Build them three equal booths, three equal tents. And this is a big point. The father comes in and says, listen to him. And these are very, very significant words. You see, in Deuteronomy 18, there was a promise that was given to Moses. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. So this is Moses saying, you know, the Lord's going to raise up a prophet from among my people, among my brothers, okay? You must listen to him. They're those same words, okay, that was spoken about. This is what you asked of the Lord, okay, at Mount Sinai or Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of God anymore or see a great fire so that we will not die. And the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded him. The transfiguration is a fulfillment of this promise to Moses. They refuse to listen to Moses. They refuse to come up the mountain. Okay? Only Moses got to go up the mountain. All right? But, and, and his other two friends got put aside. Peter, James, and John were allowed to hang around up there. This is an upgrade. Okay, the transfiguration is an upgrade of Mount Sinai. Jesus is, and those words, listen to him, okay, is the Father coming in and saying, this is the one that you need to listen to. We now have a superior Moses. Hebrews talks about a better Moses has come in Christ, and Jesus is here. Let's look at Hebrews 1. In the past, uh, Hebrews 1. Do I have Hebrews 1 there? I don't have it. All right, let me read it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So it says here, excuse me, 
In the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets, okay? So we have this picture, and the prophet's job is to point to the law, okay, and remind the people of the law. So the son, uh, but in these last days, he has now spoken to us by his son, listen to him, who he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. To me, that scripture sums up the transfiguration. The sun is the exact image. He is revealing himself. Okay? And the law and the prophets were spoken to to keep Israel in the right place, but now, listen to him. We've got upgrades. Jesus is being revealed. His clothes and face are glowing. He is being revealed as God. He's wearing garments of light, only something ever attributed to the Father. And then Moses and Elijah, who represent the law and the prophets that guided Israel, in which the old covenant existed from the time of Moses, is now fading away. And a new authority is left, displaying as Jesus, God himself. Hebrews 1 talks about that Israel, in various ways, listened to the prophets, and it was their job to point to the law. But now, the Father is saying, listen to Jesus. Jesus is the upgrade, the new Moses for mankind. Listen to him. Now, there's one more really big, obvious question. Okay, why did Jesus glow now? I mean, when we looked at storm right at the start, okay, God's arriving, floating in the sky with lightning from her fingers and um, changing the atmosphere with clouds. You know, if you've seen the X-Men, you know what I'm talking about. All right, but that picture is like this demonstrative picture of a God showing up and you're like, I know what she can do. I think I'm going to stand over here. All right? That's the picture. Now, Jesus spent three years, okay, and then decides to just subtly glow. Why does he reveal that he's kind of like God after the event? You know, Peter had this great confession just at the, mount, uh, at the foot of the mountain at the gates of Hades, saying, you are Jesus. This is his great confession. He's been with him three years. And then he sort of finally gets it, mostly, let's say. Okay, and then Jesus reveals himself after the event. Why does this happen? You know, I've got a friend with a, a skittish dog, okay? You know what I mean by a skittish dog? You know, like maybe you've got an animal or something like that that, it, it's newborn or something, and it's, it's afraid. And you sort of position yourself, you know, with a bit of food. You know, you get down low to make sure that you're not um, intimidating it, okay? And you sort of reach your hand out, so you sort of give it, and then it finally gets enough trust, it comes over, and then you move, and it gets all skittish and runs away. I wonder if Peter... The disciples, us, everyone, we, we can be a bit like a skittish dog. 
Were they like that at Mount Sinai when they were afraid to go up the mountain? I don't know. I, I, I don't know the character of God. What, what's, what's that God like, you know, up Mount Sinai there? You know, all that I see is fire. All that I see is fear. Okay? We see fire, we see fear when we don't know the true character of God. And I think Peter got to the point where he was walking with Jesus for his three-year mission. He got to know the character of God. He got to know the motives behind the miracles of what was going on. He knew Jesus. He didn't just know about the events of Jesus. He walked, okay, knowing the motivation behind all the actions of what Jesus was doing. And I think this is a safety net, sort of where God could reveal himself in front of Peter and the disciples because they knew his character. They knew Jesus' character and nature. And even if he changed into something physically different, okay, it would not be scary to them because they knew the intimate character of God. They knew the nature of God. They trusted him whatever was going to happen. And Jesus says then, well, Peter, you guys are afraid, but don't be afraid. And Peter gets it. All right, I'm going to build three tents. You know, Peter chose not to be afraid any longer. His trust and knowing God's character was able to dispel any fear. You see, at Mount Sinai, it was like they said, we don't yet know the character of this God. All we see is fire. All we see is fear. But the book of Hebrews, which has been showing, show up, Hebrews 12, says, we have not come to that mountain. We have not come to that mountain full of fear. We have come to an upgraded mountain, Mount Zion, Mount of Transfiguration, same thing. Jesus wants to become our best friend. He wants us to know his character, his heart of love. And then whatever we experience, it won't be out of a place of fear. The Transfiguration is a picture of a new mountain, of Mount Zion, where God is not seen as fear and fire but reveals his true character. Let's read Hebrews 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. I think it can't be touched. To darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of, li of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels 
in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the words of Abel. We need to learn to come to a place of trust in the character of God. We, as Christians, have come to Mount Zion. We have come to where Jesus has revealed himself to us, where we can trust in his nature, in his character, and not see fire and fear. Would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the light. And in Jesus, there is no darkness, and all light casts out fear. We all have questions. We all have understandings about what we think you are and what we think you're like, Lord. But, Lord, you want to reveal yourself to us, not as a God of fire and fear, but as a God of love. Your true character is revealed to us because we have come to Mount Zion. I pray that anything in our minds that, that reveals fear, we say no in Jesus' name. And they can be, those things can be removed from our gaze and you can be truly, truly revealed before us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank everyone for joining us online, and we just uh, pray that you'll have a good week. Uh, we're just going to have some ministry time now. So if anyone is in that place where they feel that, you know, that there is still some places of fear and mistrust you know, I would invite you to come stand out the front and people will come and pray with you. But just remember that God wants to reveal his true nature. He wants us to understand that he is not a God of fear. He casts out all fear. And Jesus is the source of all things. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence, Lord. And if anyone would like ministry... Uh, you're welcome to come out the front now and people will come and pray with you. Thank you everyone for coming to the vineyard. We pray that you'll have a safe and uh, blessed week. Thank you.